This is Chris Roth here with Bushido Scroll with your weekly knock activism wrap up. Today we're going to be talking about cops and sweeps. Let's just get straight into this. How's it going, Bushido? Uh, it's going pretty well. I don't want to dwell on uh, too much because I haven't been doing too much in the in terms of organizing uh, because of like personal stuff I'm I'm dealing with. But I did drive over to LA yesterday. Yeah. And uh, I saw a Q truck and it a, was a what? Like a truck with a Q sticker on it. A Q, oh, a QAnon. Yeah, uh, an American flag Q sticker. And, you know, <laughs> I I briefly considered, like, could my little Yaris maybe take him out at the back quarter panel and just send him <laughs> sailing off into the desert for the good of humanity and, and decided against it. Uh, but, yeah, no, like, they exist. They're out there. They're real people. And uh, that's going to get a lot worse, especially in terms of Richmond, which we, we aren't going to have time to talk about now, but we should definitely yeah. tear into that yeah. soon. And I just have this ominous feeling we will have a reason to. Hats off to the real one, Lee Carter. He yeah, no, that guy's awesome. Yeah. Uh, but anyways, uh, so you uh, have some really cool stuff to talk about. Yeah. And actually, last night after I, I parked and I walked over to your place... Uh, as I was as I was bringing my suitcase up the up uh, Hill Street, I saw three people in uh, bright like day glow orange uh, yellow <laughs> yeah. vests with yep, the like yep. you know uh, screen printed homeless count on the back and like yelled hey thank you all for being out here and they looked at me kind of weird but. <laughs> You were doing that in Pico Union, so tell us about what that was like, because this is like not only going to inform what we're doing now, it's going to set the tone for L.A. for the next year, because this determines a lot of funding, it determines how Garcetti's going to try and spin, like, hey, I'm not as big a fuck-up as you think I am, and like I all mean, of that other bullshit. You're, you're right, he is going to try to spin that, but the reality is that he is as big a fuck-up as we think he is. Um, it was actually funny, We we uh, the group that I ended up being partnered with uh none of them had anything nice to say about garcetti so it was kind of fun while we were wandering around pico union we were just trashing and garcetti the whole time <laughs> no one was ever ready for garcetti oh zing all right so um basically what went down was that we were uh for the pico union count we met up at a uh, a mormon church in the area right off western so actually i think we were outside of the pico we, i'm pretty sure we were outside of the pico union neighborhood proper um, but it was the space that was available to us to do the training and get partnered up and teamed up and sent out on our merry way. Um, they had specifically asked for volunteers who would be able to drive because the training position was not going to be near where people were going to be counting. And I had volunteered to do that, which was kind of fun. I got to sit in awkward silence with people I had never met before while we headed out to go do the thing. Um, and the, Training was actually really uh, surreal, kind of dystopian. It was like how to identify a homeless person 101 uh, with this really cheery, upbeat Muzak that was playing in the background. It was just absolutely bizarre to, to sit through. Huh. But they had a number of, like, they're, they're like, look, if you just see, like, a, uh, a shopping cart full of stuff that doesn't count, 
you need to see multiple signs that, that indicate that somebody is living on the streets or uh, otherwise unsheltered. In- Look, we, we want numbers, but we don't want them too high. Yeah, well, like we don't want the you we don't want you to count the obvious signs of someone clearly yeah. living without shelter. Yeah, yeah. So here here's here's another fun fact which was just very confusing and actually caused the most uh, questions to pop up during the training was that if you see multiple people inside of a single tent, uh, you mark it as one tent. You do not mark it as two people or three people. You mark it as one tent. And that, I mean, I guess for, you know, certain reasons makes sense because like when they do come back and do the like more professional count and like do the data regression to figure out like how many people there are, they do kind of guesstimate how many people are in a tent. But like you see a tent, you see one tent. Yeah. You don't know if the people in that tent necessarily live there, but it's also like it seems to indicate that they want the numbers as low as possible and that they're sort of going for a more predictable and quantifiable count than they are a realistic count. Well, so the 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 explanation that was given to us by the trainee, who I believe was just a, a loss of volunteer, I don't know if they were actually loss of staff, I didn't quite get that far in terms of asking them questions because they were very busy. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically, it came down to Lhasa saying that they don't want to encourage people to get too uh, close, and they, they explicitly say not to have interactions with the unhoused, which is weird. Um, but they also say, you know, they, their, their main focus is on the safety of the volunteers, they say, which in their minds means keeping you a safe distance away from unhoused folks because they're, they're still, you know, people, people who are doing this volunteer work are oftentimes people who are not comfortable around the homeless and who are not engaged in like weekly activism and outreach activity. So I, I understand where they're coming from on that one, but it's still, it's, it's weirdly othering and awful. Um, but one of the big things is they, they don't want you to, they don't want you to be putting your head into a tent. And of course you, you shouldn't, that's invading someone's home. Um, but their, their excuse for like why, if you can clearly see that there are two people in a tent, you mark it down as a single tent is that they don't want to encourage you getting so close that you would be at risk of violating that person's space, um, and having anything happen. Cause the, I think one of the big things that Lasso wants to focus on is having no incidents come out of their homeless count, which I don't think that there actually have ever been any incidents. Um, but, uh, regardless the, the way that all, all went down, you know, we drove over, we, we were walking around in the Alvarado Terrace area around that beautiful little, little tiny park, uh, that's just grass with some palm trees and, uh, with those huge, uh, old mansions that I believe have been converted mostly into like multifamily living situations, uh, up on the hillside with these like 20 foot wide staircases, uh, leading down to the park. So we were walking around in that neighborhood and it was uh, incredibly sparsely populated. We only counted, uh, there was only one single tent or rather a structure that had been put up on Hoover. And then there were a few people that we saw, um, you know, clearly walking around collecting uh, recyclables and, and wearing the multiple layers of clothing that Lhasa points out as a sign of homelessness. Mm-hmm. Um, and then a couple of uh, signs of people, you know, car camping. Uh, but that was it. It was, I think we encountered a, a grand total of like six people in our entire uh, census tract, which we had two subtracts that were, you know, it's, it's split into two walkable blocks and we just have or blocks as in like multiple blocks of city blocks but census blocks um it, it was split up and, and we were covering double duty because it was uh, short staffed for the pico union count and uh we only encountered like six people total so it was a uh 
a, a very sparsely populated area, but it also kind of makes sense. The, the sidewalks are not particularly wide over there, and the alleyways where there, there are lots of alleyways, but the alleyways are extremely narrow. Like it is literally the uh, right of way for the car, and that's like it. And then there's a, there's a wall or a fence uh, or a gate uh, right up to that little driveway alleyway thing, and there's nowhere for anyone to be. So. Um, because it's a primarily residential area, there's just no real chance for uh, any unhoused person who's seeking any kind of peace and quiet to be able to set up in any of those alleys because they're not protected in any way. Uh, and the, so the only people that we really saw were some folks living in vans, which uh, is understandable. Like that's a it's a quiet, pretty nice neighborhood to be hanging out in. There's there's not like a lot of traffic. There's lots of trees for shade. Uh, and I'm going to guess that you're probably not going to get harassed as much over there as you would in places like uh, anywhere in actual downtown, especially because downtown has parking restrictions of like you can't park here 2 a.m. to 5 a.m. on a lot of the streets. Yeah, so, it's, yeah. It, it sounds like, you know, the count is going about as it can be expected. There were some uh, some of the, the different sectors in the city had more volunteers than they needed. Some of them had far fewer than they actually wanted. Oh, yeah. Uh, the, again, you know, the volunteer count sets sort of the baseline and then yes. actual data scientists come out and, you know, sociologists come out and do a, a second count yeah. and sort of like actually firm up the numbers and figure out what's going on. And just as a reminder for everyone, the point in time count came about under the George W. Bush administration when uh, especially veteran homelessness was really skyrocketing. And the administration we wanted- were generating lots of veterans. Yeah. Well, and, and also there were a lot of veterans from previous wars that were just like getting to the point where like they were no longer in their most economically productive. That's years. Curious. They couldn't afford a place to live. Uh, also just untreated PTSD and the host of other mental issues that come from like having served. But the, the Bush administration said, look, in order for you to get federal funding in order to deal with this problem, you need to tell us exactly how many people are living on your street so yes. we can set funding levels. So what's scary about the point in time count being artificially depressed is that means we get less federal money to fix a problem that is bigger than we're saying it is. Yes. And that doesn't make any effing sense. You no. know, if you go into the doctor and you've broken both of your arms and you're like, oh, I only sprained my right wrist, your left arm's still going to be broken and not going to heal right. Like, you need to actually name and discuss the scope of the problem. Unfortunately, we live in this very, like, normative political culture where things like homelessness, which are a failure of city leadership and administration, are seen as, like, a moral failure instead. And that a city that has homelessness increasing is not seen as a city that needs to change things, but rather as a city that is failing to do, like, the good thing or to live its best life or to, like, meet sort of these stupid standards that we have in this, like, normalized hell world capitalist economy. So instead of our politicians being incentivized to deal with problems head on, they're incentivized to bury the lead and to make it seem like things are better than they actually are. And this becomes a real problem transitioning into our first story where uh, Eric Garcetti announced yesterday, which was Thursday, we're recording on Friday, that he has reached a preliminary agreement with uh, HUD and the federal government to hey. unlock federal funding to deal with the problems here in L.A. Now, this is kind of scary because we know that Robert Marbutt, who is the new homelessness czar for Donald Trump, has a very moralizing take on homelessness. He runs shelters that have basically been described as like alternative prisons where they're men only, you have to be sober, you basically have to work as an unpaid volunteer. You don't have any say in like the conditions of how you stay there. Uh, and also comes with a very like evangelical proselytizing streak. Ben Carson, on the other hand, is just a whole mess of terrible that I don't want to get into for fear of running too long. Well, so a quick note, like an anecdote that I've heard 
that best summarizes this new homelessness czar's perspective is that, you know, we all know that homelessness, uh, you know, housing first is how you actually solve this crisis. Uh, I believe he is renowned for saying uh, housing third. So it's like he he absolutely fucker. Yeah, he's his priorities do not align with our priorities, and um, yeah, fuck that guy. Yeah, they don't. His priorities don't align with uh, don't align reality? with reality. Yeah. So, uh, but anyways, back to the the HUD thing. So, what Garcetti's been negotiating with the federal government is funds for basically building new shelters, and the federal government has said they will probably give us some land, the city of LA, some land to build oh, stuff. Fun. Now, this is a little bit weird because some of the land that they've been talking about is like very far outside the city proper of LA in the more like unincorporated and uh, less well or less densely populated parts of LA. So basically they're talking about busing people from downtown LA way the fuck out to like Tustin ish so that they can live in like an old VA facility or old like defense facilities, which again, like raises questions of how, how is somebody supposed to integrate into society when you move them 50 miles away from like the neighborhood where they live? How are they supposed to get a job? How are they supposed to do anything other than just sort of like wait to die in this de facto concentration camp? The other thing that's come up in the negotiations is the use of VA land, which for anyone who's been following like the the West Side VA and the fight to get veteran housing over on that campus, which is, you know, sort of off of uh, Wilshire. It's been a huge yeah, struggle. Exactly. Getting the VA to like move on that. And they just have like hundreds of acres essentially that they're not using for housing and that they like refuse to use for the purpose that they explicitly exist for, which is to help veterans. One has to sort of wonder like, well, where have you been for the last two decades? Yeah. Um, ultimately, it seems like a lot of the money that will be unlocked is going to be for like this federal land or for increasing enforcement. And Trump has said explicitly that he wants to give police departments more money and more power to police homelessness and things that we can simply criminalize this problem away. And we know that that's not a solution because if you get convicted of a crime, it is way harder for you to find oh, yeah. stable housing. It's also like way harder if you do have a job and you end up in jail for three days, well, you're probably going to lose that job. Where yeah. are you going to get the money to pay off those fines? Where are yeah. you going to get the money to rent that apartment? Where are you going to get the time and the money to like it's travel to new job effect. interviews? Exactly. And it becomes... You know, we, we exist in this incredibly broken economy where we have, you know, ostensibly incredibly low unemployment at the at the moment. And this is like BS for a number of reasons. One, a lot of people just gave up and stopped looking. And you only get yeah. counted in the official unemployment number if you're, if you're actively seeking, actively looking for work. Uh, the other thing is we have a lot of people who are underemployed and who are driving for like Uber and Lyft or like doing part-time gigs that don't actually pay the bills. And then you have this other class of people, like the people who live in Echo Park, who can't drive for Uber and Lyft because they can't afford to own a car. They can't afford to go lease a car from Uber or Lyft. They don't have the driver's license or the driving record or the ability to like front the cash to like guarantee that lease for the day to even earn some money so even in this gig economy indentured servitude economy we have an entire class of people who just cannot access economic productivity and so the trump administration's plan at this point is give all the cities enough money to build de facto jails to just hide this problem and without addressing the underlying structural deficiencies of our economy it will not solve the problem it will just create a revolving door where generations of americans go to die and so Garcetti embracing this plan is scary AF because what he wants is a legacy where he's like, look, I brought the Olympics here to our shiny new city. And look, uh. homelessness went down. <laughs> you know, when uh. we say three people a day die on the streets yes. of L.A., that's an undercount. Yes, it is. If three people a day were dying of the flu virus in L.A., Holy they would shit. declare an epidemic. They would like 
do something to fix that. But because people are dying on the streets, our city leaders see that as, oh, you know, that's going to hurt my legacy, not fucking people are dying and we need to stop that. And the worst part is, unlike some unknown virus that might be like haunting the globe, we know how to fix homelessness. Like you just give people fucking houses. And a statistic that has been true for more than a decade is that we have five empty houses in America for every person without a house. We can literally fix this tomorrow. We can literally just give people housing. In cities like LA and San Francisco, there are more vacant units than there are unhoused people. We can just effing fix this. But the idea that we need to have housing commodified, that we need to have somebody turning a profit, is ultimately leading to this massive death count on the streets, and it's only going to get worse, especially as the climate crisis increases. Like, all of this stuff is feeding together. As we see more pressure coming from uh, from refugees coming up from the global south. This problem is going to become more acute. And, you know, the, the last thing I want to tie on to this to just sort of pull Nuri Martinez into this because <laughs> she's going to be a big target of, of yeah. ours, y'all, folks. <laughs> yes. Yeah, she's, we're going to be talking but about so her all the time. She talks about how she wants to defend immigrants and how she wants to push back against this new uh, ICE detention center that they're trying to build, this privately built prison. A lot of the people who are living on our streets are undocumented because it is hard to get housing in this country when you're undocumented. The very people that Nuri Martinez says that she wants to help are the very people that she is pushing to criminalize. With the left hand, she says she's protecting them. With the right hand, she's beating them with a, a baton. We can't let that go unremarked upon. We can't let that go unnoticed. We're either building a city that works for everyone or we're building a city that works for the billionaires. And quite fucking frankly, we can shove the billionaires straight out into the sea for all I care because all they want to do is get some profits from the 2028 games and then flee the city as soon as things are no longer profitable for them. We really don't need that. It's not going no. to help. The people who really matter are the people who are standing up in Echo Park today fighting for their rights, telling Mitchell Farrell to listen to them. And by the way, while we're recording this, like Chris and I, can't be at the park because obviously, uh, you know, reality being what it is, we can yeah. only be at one place at, at one time. <laughs> if anybody figures out how to solve that problem, let us know. Yep. It's super handy. But there is direct actions going down right now in Echo Park. And we'll kind of like cover those a little bit as we get into this and touch base on them again at the end. But people are attempting to block the sanitation workers from being able to sweep the encampment. People were there last night helping people move their stuff, yeah. making sure that nobody was getting arrested, nobody was getting harassed, nobody's going to lose stuff that they can't afford to lose. At the same time, we know that this is not like the winning strategy, but we don't have any other options, just like the people in the park don't. And it's very telling that this sweep is coming when the point in time count is happening. Like, we see what's going on, and the people who are sitting in City Hall are cynical enough to say that they don't really they care. They can't connect those dots. They somehow no, no, cannot no. connect those oh, dots. Oh, they connect them. They just don't care. Uh, They're just doing the math that like will go away at some point, that they can push homeless people away oh. for a little bit, and it's not going to affect them. And it really effing is, because don't forget, mail-in ballots go out real soon, folks. The primary is March 3rd. We got Nithya Raman. We got Ara Vasquez. We got Dr. Lorraine Lundquist. We have three people who have said that they want to make... May, uh, sorry, we have three We have three women running for City Hall who said that they want to prioritize housing as a human right, that they want to protect the most vulnerable so people good. in our city. So Get good. out there, knock some doors, make some calls. We have to push back against the Garcetti administration's att attempt 
to become a mini Trump administration because it is literally killing people. And I just, before we move on to the next segment, which is going to tie back into all of this same stuff again, because this is literally what we're talking about today. Uh, one quick thing that I know that there are going to be some people who are super pedantic about this. When we're talking about there are five vacant homes for every unhoused person, we know that just giving those homes to people isn't going to solve everything overnight, but it sure as hell is going to make a huge difference when we talk about the actual availability of housing for poor people. Like the reason why our homeless population across the country continues to spiral upwards and upwards is that we are because we live in a society where housing has been commodified and people are holding on to these empty homes that could otherwise be used for housing people like the the people who are in the most critical you know uh, mental health crises situations of course you can't just have them move into an empty apartment that some billionaire owns in the metropolis complex in downtown LA we're I, not I mean, saying that yes you can well uh, yes but it's it's you know it's not going to be productive for that person other than giving them a secure roof over their head which is a huge step but when it comes to really you just move the social workers into the next door apartment which is okay, also, also empty and owned by a different billionaire see now that's where things start getting real good and sexy so uh, i support that fully but anyway uh we we yeah just don't 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 add us with like that bullshit we we know uh and but it also it just goes to it, it also goes against this idea you know and i think the the thrust of the argument is the idea that housing is scarce or that we're in some sort of a housing yeah, that's scarcity. what we're trying to we're not against. we have a surplus of that we're yeah. the wealthiest nation that has ever existed in the history of the world and three people a day are dying in one of our wealthiest cities the yep. fifth largest economy in the world that you know no matter how you want to run it with capitalism is the best system we've ever got if it's the best system oh, we've ever got, fucked. then it should be able to solve this problem. <laughs> then it yeah. just happened to create. But yeah, let's let's move on and uh, talk about uh, everybody's favorite militarized police department, the Los Angeles Police Department. Bumper. All right. So when we talk about the housing crisis and, and dealing with homelessness and the fact that the city can't seem to get its act together on any of this, one of the things that often comes up is the budget. So just to tie quickly on here, uh, one of the reasons why that budget doesn't have enough money to deal to support LASA or to support these kind of services, even though we tax ourselves uh, extremely high to do all this, is that uh, while cops are shooting folks uh, or using stun guns, which are supposed to be less than lethal. Did you see the the weird new whip gun that they got? The like no. bolo gun? Yeah, it what? shoots a little like bolo whip at somebody's legs and like wraps them up. And it's supposed are, to be better than a taser. Is but... this like full Batman shit? Yes. Oh yeah. my God. No, LAPD bought some <laughs> uh, and uh, Phoenix PD, I believe, is rolling them out. They've actually been advertising uh. on my Facebook timeline. <laughs> Wait, uh, what did you do to your algorithm to get that? Uh, I fill out the uh, the the uh, 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 surveys that go out by a company uh, that escapes me at the time, but you'll see them pop up like, tell your city what they're doing, and it's basically a <laughs> pro-cop survey. Oh, no. And so I fill them out every time and tell them like to abolish the police, uh, <laughs> encourage other people to do the same thing. But since I fill those surveys out, they assume that I'm sort of a, a cop-like in person, and they're like, look at this nifty new, like less than lethal technology and it's basically it's a gun that shoots like a wire that's got two weighted ends and it yeah. wraps around someone and like ties them it's up it's literally so. a batman gadget yeah. all right fun uh so yeah getting back to the LAPD uh they managed to chalk up a further 5.75 million dollars for the LA city budget this past week uh, i'm just going to go ahead and quote richard winton a staff writer at the LA times because he did some great reporting on this quote 
The Los Angeles City Council on Wednesday unanimously approved a $5.75 million settlement with the parents of a Marine veteran who died after an LAPD officer stunned him six times with a taser during a Christmas Eve altercation five years ago. What a fucking Christmas present for that family. Uh, Michael Frederick Mears, 39, went into cardiac arrest about an hour after he was detained on December 24th, 2014, and died two days later. A Los Angeles County coroner's report determined Mears died from ventricular uh, dyrhythmic, uh, sorry, ventricular... A Los Angeles County coroner's report determined Mears died from ventricular dysrhythmia. That's a fun mouthful. Uh, Because of an enlarged heart and noted that cocaine intoxication and police restraint by a taser were contributing factors. His death was ruled a homicide by the coroner. In other words, uh, yeah, the cops killed him. So this settlement, like so many others, took years to be reached, and the LAPD is by far the biggest single expenditure in the discretionary budget for the city of L.A., and the liabilities for the grossly negligent actions of these officers will be haunting the city budget analysts for years to come. When we're talking about the fact that the cops need to be disarmed, uh, we're, we're talking about all of it. We don't want you to be saying, okay, well, if we give them less than lethal weapons, they'll still be able to go out there and you know make sure that they're all safe. Like. The cops are acting like snowflakes. This They do not have nearly as dangerous of a job as they want you to believe they have. They are putting themselves in situations that make things dangerous because they are harassing people on the street and not using social workers to be the first line of interaction with people who are obviously going through mental health crisis because the city instead chooses to spend their the money on overtime for these cops instead of actually investing in the services that are necessary to fix the problems and deal with people in a humane manner. Anyway, um, yeah, so that's that's one reason why our budget is fucked. And uh, thank you, LAPD, for actually giving some money to this family after you murdered their son. Well, and it's also weird because LAPD makes a big point of showing the linkages between their officers and service in the military. And, like, we have a lot of officers oh, who are reservists yeah. and National Guardsmen. And, hey, if you're a veteran, like, this is a good job opportunity Unlo- for you. <laughs> At the same time, like, their biggest uses of force are against people who are unhoused yeah. who are also predominantly veterans when you're on the street. Like, you are at a much higher risk of ending up on the street if you are a veteran, and you are at a much higher risk of being beaten to death by LAPD if you are a homeless veteran. One in three. It's kind of insane that LAPD also has the gall to be like, oh, if you're a veteran, come work for us. I mean, come come work for us and you can hurt other veterans. Uh, one in three of the uses of force that were reported by LAPD last year were against the unhoused population. That That is a, you know, an incredible statistic when you think about how many people live in Los Angeles versus what the size of our homeless population is. It's, it's less than 1%. Yeah, absolutely. Like less than 1% of our, our uh, population here in the city and county of LA is unhoused. 30% of the use of forces against them. And that statistic has gone up, yeah. as has the uh, number of violent crimes against the unhoused, which is up 24% since yeah, last year. I think 26, actually. No, it's 24. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well. But I mean, whatever. That's splitting hairs. But it's like, you know, every other statistic of crime in the it's city insane. is like down. We're at historically low levels. Yeah. Even for petty crime, like the whole like Proposition 48 bullshit, like everybody's car is going to get broken into. No, even petty crime is down. The only sector of crime that's up is crimes against the unhoused. And at the same time, those are the people facing more pressure from the cops. And you just like, 
I don't know what City Hall is trying to do other than maybe like if we hide all the homeless people, nobody can do crimes against them. Like, I don't well, Is that the strategy? I think it's more of like an if we put them in internment camps like we did with the Japanese during World War II, then we can just push them far enough away and then just pretend that anything that happens in the camp stays in the camps. It's like Vegas, only like hellhole. So uh, this actually gets us into another thing, which is the reporting of crimes. And so we were talking about you know, all of these statistics when it comes to like incidents of crime, that's all based on what is actually getting reported. And something that has come up in the last couple of weeks, and we touched on this uh, when it first started unfolding, I think it was what, two weeks well, ago? And to say like this has come up in the last couple of weeks, this has come up in the last couple of weeks because LAPD officially acknowledged what we all know they've been oh, doing yeah. for effing decades. Yeah, absolutely true. Um, and it's the, the reality here is that LAPD is lying on their police reports, and uh, specifically Metro Division. So... The LA Times is reporting this week that they obtained a Metro Division platoon recap sheet, which, quote, shows that officers were measured daily in 16 categories, such as guns, citations, and arrests. Field interviews of gang members were among the categories used to measure productivity. Oh, that's just so well, this, dystopic. It's, it's really interesting to, to break into this dystopic. for a second. When we look at, like... Uh, CompStat stuff. You know, originally CompStat came about because the city of New York was failing to do policing effectively. And so CompStat was originally supposed to be a way to figure out where the crime is happening and where to send officers in order to, like, deal with that crime. For the people who are not what, familiar, what is CompStat? So CompStat is basically a way of quantifying where crime is happening and what kind of crime. And it was a way of basically charting sure. crime across geographic regions, figuring out what type of crime was being reported there, gotcha. and then how you should set staffing levels and patrol levels in order to deal with that. It has become a management tool in the hands of fucking idiots who think that <laughs> CompStat is there to show a decrease year after year after year that like if your numbers aren't trending in the right way then you're not doing your job right which is not how you do that you're just then manufacturing crime in order to solve it or as we found out through NYPD you're pushing down certain types of crime like sexual assault is something that police departments feel really bad when those numbers go up year after year so what did New York do well they made it nearly impossible for you to report a sexual assault or rape they made it so that the officers would only report something as a sexual assault or rape if the victim said the exact right words anything outside those bounds they just wouldn't deal with it they wouldn't count it as the right type of crime what we had was an effective tool for quantifying a social problem that could be used to understand what we're doing right and what we're doing wrong in terms of law and order and it has now been turned into a management tool so like we've all had that idiot manager who's just like oh i don't really care about your lived experience Here's what my spreadsheet's supposed to do. <laughs> Fill well, out those TGS reports. Yeah, now imagine that that guy's got a fucking gun and the ability to raid houses with a SWAT team, and you understand how this has gone wrong. But instead of like there being any political will to fix that or to right that ship, they've turned that over to private consulting firms who just want to sell new fucking solutions. So that's where the Bill Brattons of the world and the Rudy Giuliani's are able to make their buck after they retire. And instead of like this helping anyone or being like an actual positive effect on crime, like largely crime is down because the economy is a little bit more stable. It's people have a little bit more money, I guess. Uh, there's probably a lot of social reasons like less incarceration, less focus on like manufacturing crime, less people ending up in jail for petty crimes, especially as we wind down in certain sectors, the war on drugs. Instead of that being credited with like this dropping crime 
Police departments and consultants pat themselves on the back that, oh, look, we made the spreadsheet dance in the right way. You have to keep giving us billions of dollars to do that. And we know it's not effective. And at some point, you kind of like run out of like people to falsely criminalize. And then it falls onto the most vulnerable people in the society, i.e. the unhoused. Like those are the people that you can easily slap with citation. Those are the people that you can easily get like, oh, I busted this guy for a thing. Like the New York the NYPD posted this photo uh, last week or earlier this week that was amazing. It was eight cops being like, hey, it may not look dangerous, but we seized this gun from a guy in a fight. It was a gun without a handle, a trigger, or a firing pin. It was literally a piece of junk. But that counts as a gun bust. And we're incentivizing those cops to do it. Like, they're all going to get fucking medals for literally seizing a piece of junk from a dude. Uh, Getting back to the the reporting from uh, L.A. Times here. So they were saying, quote, a source familiar with the internal investigation said that the Metro's work emphasized guns and gangs and that its officers felt pressure to produce statistics in a results driven department. End quote. So this right here is what you get when you put the numbers and stats guy, which is exactly what uh, Michael Moore was known as. Uh, in charge of the whole fucking department. You get an emphasis on the numbers and the stats rather than actually looking at this in a holistic way and trying to actually figure out how to make the environment safer for the people to actually live here. Like this all is, it's, it's, you see it in every time that they're talking about any of these statistics. Like the, the thing that is just sticking in my mind is that all of the things surrounding Vision Zero and the number of vehicular, like, uh, they're, they're reported as accidents, right? When, when a car, when somebody is driving a car and they hit a pedestrian or they hit a cyclist and they are you know, killing people with their cars, that is all just written off as an accident. And the way that, and it's like, even if they end up getting, uh, you know, that, that always gets reported hopefully because people die, but, uh, it's, it's just one of those things where it's like, and they just quantify everything down to the numbers and they're just like, well, uh, the number of people being hit is down, which is, I guess, yes, it's good, but also the number of people who are dying is up. So maybe we should figure out how to, you know, try to tackle both of those things rather than just being like the statistics are trending in a positive direction and therefore we're doing our job well. Um, so getting back to the the gang affiliation scandal, the LA Times also did a really great job summarizing why this suddenly actually attracted attention and what the, like, the catalyst for this unmasking of the LAPD at, for, for doing these kinds of misreporting and misclassifications of folks came from because somebody who actually gets listened to filed a complaint. Because when people from South LA file complaints, no, no one in LAPD gives a shit. Are you kidding me? Like, it, it just gets pushed under the rug. So, quote, the scandal came to light after a Van Nuys mother received a letter early last year from the LAPD saying her son was identified as a gang member during an interview with officers. She believed her son was misidentified and reported it to a supervisor at a nearby police station. Officials then reviewed body-worn camera footage and other information, and they found inaccuracies they attributed to the officer. Um, yeah, you could just say the cop fucking lied yep. because that's what happened. Uh, yeah, so we're, this is going to be a, a thing that continues on for quite some time uh, as this is all being un, unmasked here. We know that Metro Division is at the root of all of this because it's always Metro Division that's at the root of the worst behavior of the LAPD. But this is a systemic problem. They need to be addressing this from the top down and uh, Michael Moore Sorry, bud. You you gotta go. Well, it, the the other big problem and something that isn't really being addressed is like how LAPD is going to untangle this because again, these gang databases, these like rap oh, sheets so that LAPD yeah. is collecting, they're not overseen by a court. 
Like once your name goes into that database, there's no way for you to legally remove it or petition a court to like take you out of it because it's not something that's part of like your actual record. It's part of LAPD's internal record keeping. So how is LAPD going to allow people to see if they're on these records, uh, be able to sue to get their names off of it? And there needs to be more civilian oversight here. We don't have civilian oversight of LAPD. We have the LAPD Board of Commissioners. They don't do civilian oversight. They basically just rubber stamp whatever the police tell them. And, you know, we had to fight for a long time to see to even get that power. But seeing how feckless they've been in holding LAPD accountable for the numerous murders that they've committed in any given year doesn't give me a lot of hope that they're going to right this ship or push back on Michael Moore. And I think a lot of it also has to be the way in which we decide who's the chief of police. Remember, he is simply appointed by the mayor. Like, we don't vote for the chief of police, even though it's like a massive part of our city that gets 54% of our general fund. You don't have any Democratic say in who runs that police department or how they run it. There have to be bigger and more massive changes. And a lot of that's got to have to come from defunding LAPD and taking a large chunk of that $1.6 billion they got last year and putting it towards actual useful things like Lhasa maybe but let's let's talk about another abusive police department that we have because like LA County has the worst cops in the nation bar none and the LA County Sheriff's Office uh, was like pretty bad under McDonald uh, apparently getting worse under Alex Villanueva so let's talk about the uh, latest happenings in the fight between the LA County Board of Supervisors and our esteemed Sheriff Alex yeah so this is uh, a story that's been going on for quite some time um, I- I've been particularly involved with uh, the rising check the sheriff campaign uh, we're, we're trying to actually demand some real accountability and so one of the one of the core demands of this coalition as well as the uh you know one of the were the core demands from uh you know justice uh, la justice fund no justice la is that the name of it youth justice coalition not youth justice coalition the people that are doing that are trying to fight the prison expansion oh reform la jails reform la jails but it's the, just call it reform la okay. jails yeah so one of the core one of the core demands from the groups like Reform LA Jails and this Check the Sheriff Coalition that I'm a part of uh, is basically demanding that an outside party, specifically a civilian overseen outside party, has the ability to subpoena records from the sheriff's department and actually get some traction on that. Um, because there's really you if you've got an oversight committee but you don't give them any kind of teeth then there's no capacity for them to actually do anything. They're going to sit there and yell at the sheriff and scold them, and it's basically just wagging a finger, and the sheriff's officers, uh, like the, the the deputies, sit there in those hearings. I've seen this happen. They sit there in those hearings with stone faces and just take whatever scolding they're being given, and it just bounces right off because there's nothing that can be done. There are no teeth to those kinds of uh, recriminations. So... On Tuesday this week, the L.A. County Board of Supervisors voted unanimously to grant subpoena power to the Civilian Oversight Commission, which is that body that I was just speaking about. Uh, Quoting from the L.A. Times here, quote, The tool will allow the commission to direct the Office of Inspector General to compel records from the Sheriff's Department when deemed necessary. The office has said it's been stonewalled when seeking information about the agency's internal discipline system and hiring process, as well as documents related to secret deputy cliques with matching tattoos that have been accused of misconduct. Uh, That actually, (laughs) those secret, secret deputy cliques are currently being investigated by the FBI because it's 
gangs within. Well, it also rose as high as like the second, yeah. uh, the second guy in command of LACSO under McDonald or not under McDonald under uh, Baca. Yeah, uh, Tanaka had a white supremacist gang tattoo. He's now in jail for lying he to the does. FBI. <laughs> Baca, as we covered uh, last week or the week before, finally going to jail after yeah. being able to defer that for several years because uh. he's like, I'm old and sickly, and it's like. How many people did you send to jail even though they were old and sickly? Lee? Yeah. Well, uh, but yeah, I digress. It's a, it's a thing. So continuing from the LA Times, quote, the board's move followed a particularly contentious public meeting last week in which Inspector General Max Huntsman laid out more than a year's worth of transparency problems for the commission. Requests his office makes for information under the county code are repeatedly ignored, he said. In that meeting, Huntsman said, quote, the question is, is the county code being complied with? The answer is no. The sheriff's department has always operated in a very secretive manner, and oversight is in, is in part about trying to lift that veil back. And an interesting quote. thing to add on to this is that yeah. Huntsman was investigated by LACSO. Like yeah. when, when he started trying to subpoena records from Villanueva, Villanueva turned around and was like, well, now we have to investigate him for trying to investigate us, which is not how oversight works, Alex. <laughs> You don't it's, like you don't have a guy say I'm going to audit your small business and be like hold up let me see your books first like that's yeah. not how that process works and it shows that you are fundamentally afraid of being audited which as a public department you shouldn't be but you know again I guess with the metal flashlights and, and rehiring uh, domestic uh, abusers like I could understand how you might feel like you don't want somebody poking around in the books yeah so this is actually goes straight to the issue where a lot of people I've heard a lot of people referring to Sheriff Villanueva as basically Los Angeles's Trump because he genuinely believes himself after being elected into this office to be above the law and above any kind of any kind of oversight or any responsibility to any forces outside of himself. He views himself as, you know, the sole, uh, you know, he's basically like, he thinks of himself as Judge Dredd. He can run around and make any decision that he wants and you can't do anything about it because he claims to have the mandate of the people, which, you know, he did get elected with a, a majority of the vote mainly because he lied to everyone about what he was going to be doing. So anyway, um, ACLU lawyer uh, Andres de Kun Kwan uh, tweeted about this uh, new development coming out of the County Board of Supervisors saying, quote, when it comes to transparency, Villanueva has shrouded the Sheriff's Department in secrecy, not only in violation of an MOA, but in violation of state law. He has completely failed to produce SB 1421 records. The ACLU just sued the sheriff over this. Therefore, subpoena is crucial. But even when we have a clear picture of the Sheriff's Department, if the Sheriff's Department, if the sheriff keeps behaving as if he's above the law, transparency is not enough. We must have a stronger system of checks and balances if we are to truly hold the sheriff and the department accountable. Hashtag check the sheriff. Yeah, and it's it's going to be a long fight. I am happy to see that the L.A. County Board of Supervisors is finally cracking down on the sheriff, which I think, uh, you know, not to, to drift too close towards accelerationism, but this is sort of one of the reasons why it's almost good that Villanueva ended up where he ended up, because under McDonald, you wouldn't get the same kind of pushback. Like Correct. McDonald played the game and was able to get away with the exact same type of abuses. With Villanueva and the mask less off, of a dick about it. yeah, with with Villanueva and the mask off, it's easier for the county board to actually understand what everyone has been saying for a long time. And also, when you're a rich, white, politically powerful person like Catherine Barger or Hilda Solis, you don't take very well to being told by someone that you see as like your 
work, your uniformed workmen that you can shove it. And you tend to be like, well, I've got all these nifty parliamentary procedures I can use to like change that. And also like I control your budget. So that's kind of the hope is that like now that the abuses are out in public and can't be ignored, the county board is going to have to do something about it. But speaking of abuses that are out in public, uh, we flagged this at the uh, top of the, the uh, show. Uh, Echo Park is being swept right now by L.A. Sanitation and the city park rangers. It doesn't look from the videos I'm seeing, it does not look like LAPD is there, or at least they're keeping a low profile. It looks to mainly be the park rangers who are there. Uh, they are armed, uh, enforcing Ugh. the ability for L.A. Sanitation to trash people's belongings. They are being met by a very robust and loud contingency of uh, people from groups across the spectrum in L.A., uh, DSA, Services Not Sweeps, Ground Game, uh, Koreatown for All. Like, if there is a group that is working on helping our unhoused neighbors sure in the city of LA, they yeah. are out there. Yeah, most definitely Sela. Yeah. Uh, but they are out there this morning making their voices heard, making their demands heard. It is a really important action. The media is also picking it up. Al Emily Alpart-Reyes yep. uh, actually tweeted out the uh, article we're about to talk about yeah. because last night, uh, Streetwatch and uh, Services Not Sweeps went and talked to people who are actually living in Echo Park and had them write a letter to our elected officials. So yes. let's talk about that. Yeah, so in the past week, there's really been this dramatic escalation in tensions around this encampment at the north end of the park. Two of the four leaders who stood up to the, the rangers that were coming in and, and trying to enforce the sweep about this purported film shoot that we talked about last week, that there was all sorts of confusion at City Hall, but we'll get into that again later. Um, or, you know, just go back and listen to what we talked about last week. Um, the this these these leaders within the community were sitting there chilling uh, at their tents and they were like smoking uh, in a park. So they they were they were photographed by park rangers uh, holding a bong and oh. then park rangers called LAPD so they and they were specifically even... looking to get these folks arrested yes. because these it was two one hundred percent target. Yeah, these two uh, these two people were both uh, on camera the weekend before uh, talking about the sweep that was stopped last Friday, yes. talking about how what's going on is bad and the park rangers saw it as a black eye and wanted retaliation and used LAPD to get that retaliation. Yeah, so they, those those folks were arrested for this, which. I mean, if you're smoking in a park, that's like at most a citation. It's not an arrest. Well, so so what happened was one of them was arrested. Yeah. The other one was not because it was a citation. The one who was arrested was specifically arrested because he refused to sign the citation because he knew it was BS. So when he refused to <laughs> sign the citation, LAPD took him into custody for and he had to go through an arraignment. Um, and it's, it, yeah, like for me, like I've been smoking at Echo Park and had an LAPD officer walk by and say, put that out. And then they walk 10 feet farther yeah. and then I light it back up again because <laughs> they don't care it's about double it. standard. They really, they just don't effing care. No. And they, they don't want to take the time and the paperwork. But again, they were looking to fuck up this guy's day. Yes. So they did. And they did. So this morning, again, as we're recording this, there is a mobilization of activists and concerned neighbors making a stand to protect the unhoused residences park from a sweep that was allegedly sanctioned by Mitch O'Farrell's office. They gathered in the park this morning at 7 a.m. with many of them actually camping out overnight in the park from the night before to ensure that they were all in place place before any sanitation workers could arrive and begin confiscating tents and personal belongings because that's one of the things that the cops like to do or, or and any of the enforcement folks like to do is schedule things and then make it as difficult as possible for people to actually you know comply with their demands so by camping out there overnight that ensured that our activists were on the ground ready to go uh, as soon as it happened like you can't get stuck in traffic if you're already there so Yesterday, the community of residents who are encamped at the park released this open letter that was posted on Knock, 
to the community and to Mitch O'Farrell, offering to sign a community contract in return for being allowed to continue to live unmolested in this public space as they have literally nowhere else to go. And we've we've seen a lot of comments on Twitter where people are going out there and trying to publicize what is going on in this fight that you know they ha- these activists have gone and reached out to all of the possible shelters in the area anywhere where these people could potentially go and they have found that every single facility is at capacity there is no room for anyone to go anywhere within their neighborhood and when again we're talking about people who when you're unhoused in these communities outside of skid row like half or more of the people that live in most of these encampments are from within the community where they live. Like they've lived in these neighborhoods for five, 10, 20 years. And this is the place where they call home because it's been their home for a decade or more. And this is where they have any semblance of a social safety net because this is where the people that they know are. This is where the things are familiar and they can find some semblance of safety and security while they're living in this incredibly precarious position. So uh, the letter opens up as follows, quote, We, the unhoused residents of Echo Park Lake, are coming to you as your constituents and fellow human beings to express our fear, grief, and anger in regards to the severe harassment and persecution we have felt at the hands of law enforcement and city employees over the past three months. We have built a community at this lake that is now made up of more than 60 people, and we are facing the threat of eviction and being displaced from our community, the family we have built here every single day, and we are devastated." We are appealing to you today because we are hoping that as our council member, you will stand by us and work with us to develop a solution. We need you to hear us. We need you when we would like to share our stories with you. We care about this lake. We want to help keep it clean. The fact that we do not have homes does not mean that we are dirty, dangerous drug users or unemployed. Many of us have lived and worked in CD13 for over a decade. We hope you understand what this lake means to us. This has become our home in what is one of the darkest times of most of our lives. Having camaraderie and connection to those who care about us, which is what we have here, is an integral part of our future success. So the residents have promised, these unhoused residents have promised to the community Uh, they've made some very straightforward promises that are addressing some of the most common concerns that have been levied against these unhoused folks from, you know, we see this time and again, people's main complaints are it's dirty. Like there's needles, it's, there's human waste, all of these things they're promising or they're offering to, uh, number one, keep the park clean. Uh, they say we would hap- we would be happy to help the rangers in maintaining the beauty of this space. We will be drafting a proposed residential volunteer job summary, i.e. trash collection, gardening, sweeping, beautification projects, maintenance, bathroom cleaning, etc., that we would each agree to be a part of to ensure that our residency does not detract from the beauty of the park. Number two, be respectful of our neighbors and community. Of course they would. Number three, we will be compliant with cleanups that are in line with the demands of the Services Not Sweeps Coalition. So... In return, this community has some extremely reasonable asks that the neighbors, law enforcement, park rangers, and park goers do the following. Number one, not gawk at us and film us as if we are in a freak show. Number two, not pollute our living space as the environment of the park. Number three, not harass and criminalize us, but accept us as members of the community. Number four, not intimidate us with late night police raids. Number five, no more frequent and unpredictable quote unquote cleanups. So, Again, this situation is continuing to unfold as we speak, uh, and it's highlighting some of the impacts of the city's revamp of the care teams, uh, which was actually one of these huge issues that went down in the January 21st 
Energy, Climate Change, and Environmental Justice Committee hearing uh, that I was able to attend briefly on Tuesday, and there were a number of people from K-Town for All, from Ground Game, uh, from Sunrise, and from other community organizations that all showed up to make their voices heard. One of the people that spoke out first uh, was Ethan from Sunrise. So Ethan was basically calling out uh, Nuri for her reversal of her positions on this issue and saying that he was ashamed of having stood alongside her uh, celebrating the creation of this committee because this committee is now being used as a tool to fundamentally undo all of the progress that was being made. Uh, last year in response to the demands of the Services Not Sweeps Coalition. Uh, my name is Ethan. I'm with the Sunrise Movement, Ground Game LA, and also uh, uh, Services Not Sweeps. Um, good afternoon, Nuri and council members. Less than six months ago, the Sunrise Movement stood with you here as allies, praising you for you, your commitment to the climate crisis as you established this committee. I am deeply ashamed as a movement member who works with my unhoused neighbors regularly that you are using this committee to discuss further criminalization of the homeless. Environmental justice is a housing and homelessness justice issue. Where are the services? Where are the extra dumpsters, regular trash pickups, the toilets, the sharps containers, the power washing? Instead, you ramp up sanitation's role and decrease services. This is a social justice issue and not just an environmental issue. Your failure to build equitable housing and coziness with developers has created this housing and homelessness issue, and now you want to further punish the victims of this with punitive measures. You have your one minute of general. Rolling away personal documents and identification, sentimental items, things you and I need every day to survive. Increasing 56.11 enforcement is wrong. Three people dying on the streets of our city a day is wrong. The blame lies with you and your failure to provide both housing and services. Dispersing unhoused folks, Nuri, you banished 100 people from the Sepulveda Basin, and Mitch, you attempted to sweep 60-plus unhoused folks from Echo Park last week to God knows where before this week's count may get to get your numbers down. It may get your numbers down, but it will not fix the problem, nor will it assuage the guilt that sits firmly on your shoulders that, have, that comes from with this crisis. Thank you. Let's also have a listen to what Ground Game's own Tommy Kelly had to say uh, in a very emotional exchange with the folks on this committee because, frankly, they're neglecting to do their damn jobs and we're all having to pick up their slack. Uh, yeah, I'm here to say, first and foremost, that uh, 5611 enforcement is cruel and unusual. You all may recognize that term from the Eighth Circuit ruling, or Ninth Circuit ruling on uh, Martin v. Boise. Uh, so, in particular, we have seen enforcement um, about 5611 in the Schrader uh, enforcement zone in Hollywood uh, be especially cruel and unusual to the point where the city is throwing away trash cans of unhoused residents. I mean, seriously, how do you all expect people to be clean when the city is taking away trash cans? There was, a, there was also a city installed a trash can there. They took that away. We've been asking for a dumpster at this encampment for over a year. And yet you all fail to provide any resources for these people to live a normal life, constantly sweeping them. People, people there don't even know what the enforcement zone is. Why am I the one telling them? Where is the outreach? People there don't even know what Lhasa is. And finally, let's close out with Victoria, who is one of the community members who has been extremely active in helping to prevent the displacement of these folks uh, surrounding Echo Park Lake. Uh, here, let's listen to what she has to say. 
So Mitchell Farrell, seven minutes from your office in Echo Park, two of the Echo Park, Echo Park residents were arrested today for smoking. There is nothing wrong with smoking in a park, and that is where they live. So what are you doing? And you're going to escalate the sweeps with LAPD and LA sanitations. All of you have played a role in criminalizing the houseless population. They are being harassed by civilians. They are being murdered by LAPD. Last week, Victor Valencia was murdered by LAPD, and we don't know the cop's name. We are not being given footage, and we're not being given any evidence of this 911 call that claims he has a gun. He did not have a gun. So all of you need to work on this. You need to stop the sweeps because you are moving your houseless population around. We all deserve to know what the population is and what you are all doing. You, I know, I tried calling your office and your office representative lied to me saying that LAPD is not a part of the sweep, but they have been actively a part of the sweep and it's the Pulvada Basin, Nuri Martinez. Yeah, and this all kind of feeds into what we've called the larger housing crisis, sort of like writ large. And this is, came to a point up in Oakland last week, and I got to apologize again. I, apparently I was wrong when I wrapped it up and said it looked like the developer won. It turns out that the developer, well, they didn't, they didn't completely lose, but the moms definitely won. So yeah, in did. a kind of stunning reversal, after saying we will not sell the house to the OCLT until the moms get out, uh, Wedgwood has reversed themselves and is selling the house to the Oakland Community Land Trust to make it permanently affordable. Now, the one thing I will kind of flag here at the top, why, like, I, this is a good thing, but there's also a little bit bad thing to it, is Wedgwood is still getting paid by public money like that's yes. what it means when they're selling to the OCLT is municipal funds are going into a private developer's pocket there's not really a way to avoid that um you know it's weird that Alameda County has a tank that they will use to kick mothers out of houses but won't use to seize those houses from developers you know in the future like <sighs> yeah. Alameda County you can save some money by just like using the tank against the developers like just eminently domain the house and like when the developer objects just be like well we've got a tank so the thing is that you know of course then the developers are going to sue the ever-loving shit out of the county but again tank well fair tank <laughs> tank the fact that they use the tank as like the first step in the eviction process is just absurd at face value but anyway um, as you said, on Monday, uh, Martin Luther King Jr. Day, news broke out that Wedgwood Properties had agreed to enter into negotiations with this Oakland Community Land Trust to purchase this three-bedroom home on behalf of the families who had moved into what was then a vacant property and had been living there since November. Um, Oakland Mayor Libby Schaff lauded the agreement and added that, quote, I cannot condone unlawful acts, but I can respect them, end quote, uh, which is an interesting way of saying y'all done good, but at the same time can't say to keep doing it, which is weird because it seems like it's something that works and they should keep doing it. Uh, according to Curbed S. San Francisco, uh, Schaff also said that the Wedgwood has promised in the future to offer affordable housing organizations the right of first refusal, uh, which means that they would have the opportunity, the first opportunity to buy a new home before it goes onto the market on all of the company's Oakland properties, which, again, like that's good, but simultaneously. Uh, it, it also glosses over the fact that uh, they're it, hoarding they, property. Well, and what Woodwood is doing is they're going to foreclosure auctions and tax lien auctions and they're buying houses for pennies on the dollar and then they're going to turn around and sell them at. 
fair-ish market value. Like they're going to get their return on investment one way or another. Yeah. And it's just incredibly stupid because as the federal government showed during the financial crisis in 2008, 2009, they could just go in and buy up these distressed loans and not evict anyone. Like yeah. they could just make them federal loans. Uh, and instead of selling them back to the private market to let companies like uh, Blackstone evict people and turn them into profit generating facilities could just make them permanently affordable like that. We That's could have a federal solution to this. Yeah. And, you know, surprisingly, that also happens to be part of the Homes Guarantee hey. that People's Action Network pushes. So, <laughs> you know, I just wanted to flag that one for you. So uh, we'll just put a little quick bow on this one because uh, it's continuing to develop and it does sound, look like it's been a resounding victory for the moms. Uh, Moms for Housing co-founder Dominique Walker summarized this victory quite succinctly. Today, we honor Dr. King's radical legacy by taking Oakland back from banks and corporations, end quote. And another nice thing about this is this house will be permanently affordable. Yes, so when the moms move out of the house, OCLT will keep the rent and the mortgage if they sell it to other like private yeah. owners uh, affordable. Like people will be able to use this house based on what the median income is in the area, and they will only offer it to people who are making eighty percent or less of the median income in the area. Yep. And that really, really matters because that's one way we can push back against gentrification. If we are going to have to like update our housing stock, which we do, like a house that's more than thirty or forty years old, it needs work done to it. Yes, it the does. problem right now is that we turn that maintenance over to the private market where they're like, well, I need to get my 10 to 30% return on that house. If we instead see housing as a community investment, as something that is like a human right. A public good? Yeah. Then that, that maintenance just becomes part of the cost of like yeah. keeping the social contract. And that's sort of where we need to, to shift this. So a lot to celebrate here. Uh, Wedgwood still like, Wedgwood getting paid, like, you know, there's no way to avoid that, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, but, and they're still going to be doing their crap because the other thing is like, this agreement appears to only, uh, apply to their houses up in Oakland and like Alameda County and like Northern California. Remember they operate in pretty much every state West of the Mississippi. They have thousands of other properties out there that they've got their hands on. They have dozens and dozens of these like Catamount properties, 2018 LLCs. Yeah. They're like owning and buying property and that all has to be addressed. And that's one reason that we need a national strategy. We can't just do this like city by city by city. We can get like a Bernie Sanders into office who supports Woo. things like a homes guarantee and see an actual national push on fixing this problem. All right, so let's go ahead and get into the pickups for this week. We've got the Black Lives Matter weekly vigil happening, as always, Wednesday, downtown, 211 West Temple. Usual time, usual place. Starts at 4, runs till 6. Be there, be square. Uh, it's dope turnout, please. Uh, the Los Angeles Tenants Union only has one meeting coming up next week. They've got their Hollywood local happening from 6.30 to 8.30 on Monday. Address for that is 1760 North Gower. Uh, 90028. Uh, if you live in Hollywood and you're interested in getting involved in tenant organizing in your community, that's a great place to get started. Um, of course, we also have the annual, or not annual, we have the weekly ground game meetings. We meet a lot, folks. We do our, not our, meet. Our annual weekly meeting. Well, our, our, <laughs> like it's our annual uh fourth week in January meeting, and we do that meeting the fourth week of every January. We, do. we then also have a uh, you know a first week of February meeting, and then a second week of February meeting, and it and, keeps going down the list. And I do gotta say, for any of y'all listening who's like curious about showing up, we had like two random new people show up last night. We're always happy to get new people in. Like, please just show up. And the other thing is like, 
even if you can't organize with us because you're like in a different part of LA and it's kind of a, a, a trek for you or whatever, we are more than happy to connect you to people in your neighborhood that are 100%. organizing to make sure that you've got the skills to organize, to show you like what you need to do. Like we didn't come into this like knowing what the hell we're doing. Hell no. We just kind of like fucked up enough that after three years we seem kind of competent at it so like you too can come and learn with us and we would love to like have your input because we're always looking to learn and always looking to learn how we can be better and we don't do that by sitting in the same room with the same 12 people week after week after week like we only grow by meeting new people and learning new things absolutely so come on out it's every thursday from 7 30 till 9 5617 hollywood boulevard just a couple of blocks from the hollywood western redline metro station easy to get to come on out say hi uh we're very welcoming trust us we won't bite uh, yeah, so be great to see more folks coming out. I couldn't make it this past week because I was out counting not any tents uh, <laughs> down in Pico and Union because they were short on volunteers, and that seemed like a very uh, practical need for using my time. So, um, yeah, be great to see more people. Anyway, uh, as always, if y'all have any events that you want us to be taking part in, publicizing, or just generally being made aware of, please send us a message. You can reach us through the Ground Game LA Facebook page or by email over at podcast at groundgamela.org. Of course, you can also follow us on Twitter at Ground Game LA, at Bushido Squirrel, at Christopher Roth, on Instagram over at, at Ground Game LA, and you can like and follow our the Ground Game LA Facebook page for all of our live streamed content from actions around the city, as well as links from Knock. This podcast and every Ground Game podcast is a production of Knock.LA. Knock.LA is a cooperative, nonprofit multimedia collaboration, and we invite you to be a part of it. Please support our work over on Patreon. We pay local writers to report on issues happening in their neighborhoods and around Los Angeles. So your support goes directly to funding that work. We also invite you to contribute your own work over on Knock.LA. We are all in this together, and your voice matters. If you'd like to read the sources that we are citing or quoting here for yourself, check out the list of articles cited in the episode description on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, or wherever it is that you're listening to us rant and rave about local politics. Bushido, you got anything to head us out with? Yeah, so unfortunately, uh, we found out this week that Terry Jones of Monty Python fame passed away. Yeah. Uh, he was uh, definitely one of the oddest characters in the entire Monty <laughs> Python-like <laughs> universe. And so he had a quote from The Life of Brian that I think applies to uh, Eric Garcetti. <laughs> He's not the Messiah. He's a very naughty boy. <laughs> Thank you all very much. Have a good week. Thank you all.
Chubby Bumble. 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 Chubby Bumble.